You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you are black or not black, that is okay. This week on the podcast, we are finishing Jonathan Abrams' The Come Up, an oral history of hip-hop. I'm happy to be finishing it, uh, one, because it's a good book, and two, because I'm tired of reading the library book, really prefer buying books or, you know, whatever, getting them used or which is still buying them, but, you know, not quite the same. Or uh, getting an advanced copy, which doesn't happen very often to me, but it's nice when it does. Yeah, and so just keeping notes in a library book, tedious. But that says nothing about the book itself, which um, we read the first two parts in the last two podcasts, and this is the third part. I kind of arbitrarily broke it up. But really the first part was like the formation of hip-hop the middle part was like what some people call the golden era from the mid 80s until like 90, early 90s, uh, which has some good hip hop, whatever, depends on how you feel. And then from here on out, we get into what I think is the best era of hip hop. You know, obviously I'm biased because it's my era of hip hop, but at the same time, how old is hip hop really? It's not that, not that far of a stretch to say this is the best era, but that's like from 93 on. So that's where we are today. That's the last half of the book. And yeah, I'm just going to go chapter to chapter, uh, kind of pointing things out. I won't spend too much time on the chapters. And then I'm going to talk about the overall um, the overall thoughts I had on the book. And then, yeah, that, that'll be it. So yeah, let's just hop in. Chapter 17 is called Raising the Bar. And I think that's an apt name for this chapter as it starts in 93 and it's in New York City. And if you don't know, in 94, we're going to get Life After, excuse me, uh, Ready to Die. We're going to get Illmatic. Reasonable Doubt comes out not too long after that. Uh, The Wu-Tang Clans into the 36 Chambers comes out. So right there, those are four of the best albums you're ever going to hear. And yeah, I mean, there's really nothing else to say if you don't know about what's going on with with those guys and you don't like hip-hop. And I would add that nothing was really new in the book. And, and that's going to be something I talk about in the, in the larger um, thoughts on the book. But yeah, like, that was cool to read about it and read about Nas and Big and Hove and uh, Wu-Tang. But, you know, there's a series about the Wu-Tang Clan. And Jay-Z is probably the most famous rapper of all time at this point. If not, then, you know, it would be... Pac or Big, so he's he's the most famous living rapper, I would say. I guess Kanye, but he doesn't, you know, pure rapper. Anyway, so there's nothing really new to be said about those folks, and, and, and not really any new ground covered here, as far as I could tell. Okay, so hopping forward to chapter 18, which is called The South Got Something to Say. Now, as a caveat, I should say that one, my father was from Louisiana, and so I have a soft spot for the South. So you know, I'm not trying to be like when I'm what's about to follow is not as a person who hates the South, but I just don't care about Southern hip hop. I never have. I think there are 
great hip-hop artists from the South is just not for me, you know? And I think that's fine. Now, somebody will point out, like, oh, but don't you like this rapper? What about Outkast? What about Killer Mike? What about Juicy J, who I like, you know, or Bun B and, um, you know, uh, a few others here or there? Yeah, there are some. But my thing is, so I, I'm reading this thing by, uh, this passage by Big Gip on page 376, and he says, to watch Corrupt and Daz walk outside of that source wards that night and feel like the West Coast was disrespected too and just get to battling everybody that was out there. Oh, that was the most awesome shit I had seen in a long time. And then, you know, he goes on to talk about, he's like lumping the South in with the West. And the thing is, is that it's not really like accurate because I don't, I don't think that, and maybe this is just like my biased West Coast opinion, but I don't think that anybody thinks of Southern rappers as the top rappers of all time. I think you generally get well, from the East Coast, of course, you get Biggie, you get Nas, you get Jay-Z, and you get Rakim. That's always, you know, that's always up there. And from the West, you, you get Pac, so one real representative. But then you also have Dre and Snoop, who kind of come as like a a package deal of just like super important rappers or uh, hip-hop artists who existed on the West Coast. I know that the South has their version of that. And I know that Southern rap has now taken off, you know, over many decades now. But I still don't think that it's quite on the... And maybe I'm doing the same thing that Big Gip is talking about here that happened at the Source Awards. But I just don't feel like the West and the South, I think that there is a hierarchy. I think New York's at the top. They've put themselves at the top. They're snooty about their hip-hop. I don't know that they're still at the top right now. They're not currently at the top. But historically, I would say they're at the top and the respect meter or the respect index goes through them. If you want to be respected, you got to be stamped by the New York hip hop uh, culturati, right? And then I think the West Coast is next. And I think the South is after that. And, you know, again, could be wrong. Um, but that's, that's just how I feel. So if that's, if that's no longer the case, and I'm just way behind the times, that's okay. Uh, I would say another example would be, okay, here, here's a perfect example. Who's the most well-respected rapper right now if we're going off of just accolades we already said jay-z but like kendrick lamar who i don't even like right i actually don't like kendrick lamar but um you know he's clearly super 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 respected and he won a pulitzer prize not gonna i'll get into that because he gets covered in a lighter chapter so i'll just leave that to the side but all i'm saying is like in terms of rappers that have been inducted into the hall of fame the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and rappers that get treated a certain type of way. I would say the only rappers that get like larger than the South and larger than hip hop kind of mainstream cultural credit. And now we're getting into a different thing. So if we're just talking about hip hop credit, I don't think that the South rates on the same way that like the West and New York does. Um, but then if you're going like larger cultural impact in terms of what's more accepted southern hip-hop or like western hip-hop west hip-hop west coast hip-hop or new york hip-hop i think that with new york you've seen dudes get a lot of credit by non-hip-hop media which you know ultimately who gives a fuck but it's whatever one metric and the same thing is true for the west i don't think i've really seen it for the south that being said three six did win an oscar so again i could just be in be wrong, be seeing this all through my own subjective point of view. But um, 
Yeah, so basically it's just a whole chapter of me of me hating. Uh, there was one other note here, and the South got something to say. Uh, Jeff Sledge said, for, for us, New York was still on fire at that time. It was Rockefeller. It was all the bad boy stuff. The Locks and Puffy was killing it as well, and Rough Riders. New York was a hotbed. We were excited to have UGK get on this record because we knew the exposure they would give the group. We felt like it was going to take them from a regional group to a national group. So it's talking about Big Pimp and the, the Jay-Z record. So when it came time to do it and Chad started bucking back, it was kind of like, oh, my God, dude, what are you doing? This is a great look for everybody. He felt like, I don't want people in the South who I ride for, who I'm so protected of, to feel like, oh, now you done did a record with the hottest artist in New York, so now you're on some New York shit. See, so I still feel like even in – Big Pimpin' came out. I was in high school. It's like 2002. So – I still feel like even then there's just this inferiority complex thing, which is kind of like a, what do you call it, self-fulfilling prophecy or a, yeah, let's just go with self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? So I'm ranking the South behind um, New York, and it seems like the South is ranking itself behind New York, you know? Although what's what they're purportedly saying here is like New York's that mainstream sound, and, and we're more about that South sound, and hip-hop is super regional, and so maybe that's true, you know, whatever, you're the king of the South, that's fine. But um, yeah, I don't think it works nationally. And I don't think the reason that New York is more popular nationally is just because it's mainstream. I would say if you just asked general hip hop fans, so people who identify as hip hop fans that follow the culture, right? And you ask them, where's the best hip hop outside of your own region, I feel like at any given time you might get, um, you, you might get uh, New York as an answer. I, I don't know. I mean, now now it's really tough to say. I just feel like now it doesn't matter at all. But then, you know, like pre two thousand and ten. Now, who cares where people are from? Really, there's still a few places where it really matters. I mean, like Chicago really's got an identity. I feel like the West Coast does. Nipsey dying was Nipsey dying. Nipsey getting murdered was a huge blow. I mean, obviously Kendrick is you know definitely from California. There's no doubt. Um, but Nipsey, yeah, because he was like, you know, not that Kendrick Lamar is mainstream, but he's not like not mainstream in the sense that he sold out. Just mainstream in the sense that he's very popular. People know him. Nipsey Hussle was a little bit more like. You had to know hip-hop. You can't just... If you say Kendrick Lamar to a random person, they'll probably know him. Whereas Nipsey Hussle, I feel like you had to be into hip-hop a little bit more. Till he died. Now people know him. Bun B, later in this... So I just keep going with this theme of the South being very... Having a bit of an inferior inferiority complex. So there was this thing about UGK not wanting to do the Big Pimpin' song. And then Bun B is talking about how he did a record with Drake and he's like talking about how he uh, justified or rationalized in his mind doing it. And all I could think reading it was like, well, you were hesitant to do a record with Jay-Z, but you were down to do a record with Drake. Now, whatever you felt about Jay-Z before Big Pimpin' came out, because that was what, that was volume three. So volume one, volume two, and reasonable doubt, I feel like Jay had enough bona fides for you to be okay with it, you know? For instance, making reasonable doubt, for instance, rapping with Big and really like pushing him artistically, 
isn't that enough for you to be like, oh yeah, you know what, Jay Z, cool. Like, okay, fine. He makes summer. He makes summer jams, kind of whatever. He makes a jam for the summer, among his other great songs that are not summer jams. But yeah, okay, whatever. He's got change clothes and go, and he's got big pimping, and he's got hard knock life, and yeah, he's always gonna have one single that that everybody's gonna be bumping. Okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. But you could look at his bona fides and be like. You know what, this dude can rap, like, no doubt, okay? I love the dough from Life After Death. That not enough? I mean, reasonable doubt should have been enough. Anyway, so you're hesitant with Jay-Z, but Drake? Like, what? Huh? <laughs> what were the bona fides there? So just kind of weird, you know? Also, I, I'm very much not a Drake fan. I feel like you couldn't have been born and liked hip-hop and been my age and been a Drake fan. I always find it weird when I meet people who are my age who like Drake, because I'm like, wait, we were the, we're the same age as Drake, which means that, you know, whatever. The whole Degrassi thing has been covered, but just, like, that transition, we, we were there for that. So I'm not going to be a Drake fan. It's just kind of weird. Uh, I think I compared it last week to, like, watching NBA players now who are younger than me. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm a fan of an NBA player, but also it's, it's some of these – Young men, I hate when people call adults kids. Some of these young men are like literally young enough to be my kid. So it would be a little bit weird to be fawning over them in that way. And the same thing with people who are my peers. I admire them, right? I admire them, particularly when they're good at something. But if you were the same age as me and famous, and while we were both like uh, coming of age, obviously in very different realms, um, the way you came of age was kind of lame talking about drake i'm not gonna just suddenly forget that so you know <laughs> i just think it's weird i don't know if you like drinking you're over 30 if you like drake and you're over 30 I, I think you're weird is basically what i'm getting at if you're 36 and you were 16 and drake was 16 and you knew he was under Grassi and then you saw him rap and his rap i don't i don't think he's a very good rapper i don't think he has a great voice he's got a I guess, fine flow, whatever his lyrics are, just anybody could be writing them. If you like that, I guess. So, you know, I do understand if you're just at a club and the song comes on. Yeah, that I get. But to be an actual Drake fan, I, I don't know. It just seems weird. What are you standing on with that? The lyrics? No. The flow? No. And where do you rank them all the time? Anyway, whatever. I'm going to go down the Drake rabbit hole. But I don't know how Bun B could sit there and be like, well, maybe with Jay-Z. I don't know about this. But, oh, Drake? Yeah, definitely. Weird. Uh, to be fair, he was hesitant with Drake, too. But I just, you know, seems like apples and oranges to me. One of these guys is like, you know, a lot of people consider him to be the greatest rapper of all time. Right or wrong. You're probably not going to find many conversations with hip-hop heads where Jay-Z's not in that conversation. I don't see Drake being put into that conversation. So just odd, just just an odd thing. Uh, moral of the story, over 30, you shouldn't like Drake. Okay, let's move on. Uh, there's a minor aside about Pharrell being weird. It wasn't really that funny, so I'm not going to read it, but it just made me think of Atlanta where the Donald Glover goes to jail and the guy looks at him and just yells, stop being weird. And... Uh, and he's like, I'm not being weird, you know, whatever. So that, but Pharrell clearly very comfortable in his own skin and worked out for him. But ultimately, the South got something to say, chapter. Interesting, you know, there's Southern hip hop that I need to listen to that I hadn't listened to before. So there's artists that I hadn't heard of. Um, 
you know, not a ton, but some. There's also just that thing, too, I think, that if you listen to enough hip-hop growing up, that you just associate certain hip-hop a certain way. So without listening to it, you're already like, oh, this is that. I'm not listening to that. I'm good. There's a lot of that for me where now that I'm older, I'm more open to like, let me go back and just check it out a little bit. So I'm going to do that with some of this stuff. But I I do think I'll probably reach the same conclusion. So maybe that's just me being closed-minded again. Whatever. Okay, let's move on to chapter 19. Enough Southern bashing. Again, I love the South. My pops is from there. All right, chapter 19 is all about Pac and Big. Well-tread ground. I, I don't even want to get into it. I just have nothing to say about it. I mean, what can be said, you know? We all know the story. It's a... That's me ripping off a sticky note. It's a tragic story. We know why it happened. I don't think there's any new ground to cover with Pac and Big. Oh, there was one... There was actually one thing, a single thing that I didn't know that was here. And let me find it. It was the fact that Biggie's name, uh, Biggie Smalls, is a nod to Calvin Lockhart's character in the 1975 film, Let's Do It Again. That is the one snippet I didn't know. I assume that's a black exploitation film. I have a black exploitation book by Josiah Howard that has like, it's a, it's got all of the black exploitation films in it. I will be looking up Let's Do It Again. And I will be watching that film. So, there was that. That was new. And the name of this chapter about Big and Pac is called That Stuck With Me. And that did. So, there you go. A little little bit on the nose, but there you go. Okay. Then the next chapter was uh, The Consciousness, The Midwest. And this chapter starts out with some rapper named Esham. And if that sounds dumb, I don't care. I've listened to a lot of hip-hop in my life. I've never heard of Esham. Apparently he did acid uh, acid rap. And he's from Detroit. And he's from the Midwest. Midwest is an interesting place. This chapter was interesting. Whereas with the South, I have a viewpoint. And like a, you know, I know what Southern hip-hop sounds like. I know whether or not it uh, appeals to me or not. I know there's different regions as well, right? Memphis and uh, Louisiana and Atlanta, just to name a few definitely all have their own different flavors, right? So you can't just say Southern hip-hop. I played with a guy from Florida who loved Roy Jones Jr. and I believe Tum Tum was a rapper that he used to talk about all the time. And then we had some dudes from Texas and they were in... Oh, no, no, no. Actually, no. He wasn't from Texas. He just liked, at the time, Paul Wall, Slim Thug, and Mike Jones had just come out. So they were popular. So, you know, I, I, I get that the South is a large region. The Midwest, I have never thought about as like a collective region. So... Yeah, I've thought about Chicago hip-hop, especially recently with Drill, and Detroit because of D12 and and Eminem, not in that order. And then the other area that they mentioned is St. Louis. Yeah, I know that Nelly's from St. Louis, right? I I know the rappers that are from these areas. I know the rappers that I talked about in this chapter. But to think of that collectively as the Midwest... Didn't think of it that way. Whereas with the South, I collectively think of it. So for me, this chapter is more interesting because it's kind of like, well, you were actually neglecting this. Whereas the South has an identity. It's, it, I mean, to be, I guess, again, just a, a, an elite hip-hop fan, an elitist hip-hop fan, you're right. We weren't paying attention to the Midwest. That's correct. And we were paying attention to the South. Uh, the only thing I would push back on about this chapter is, number one, that it's called 
the consciousness because Common's from there and Kanye. Man, I'm so fucking tired of this shit. And I'm so tired of... It it happens at the end of the book, but I'll just go ahead and talk about it now. This idea of like what hip-hop could be and how hip-hop was. Fucking cut this shit out. It's never the way hip-hop was. Hip-hop always had mainstream. It always had uh, underground. And it always had some people talking about black consciousness. And then the fourth thing would be gangster shit that really got more and more popular like later but you know ice t right cited as like the first gangster song so that's pretty early on too right so it always had these elements so this concept that like oh you see what you see what hip-hop's become now now you see it it's not like these other records were best-selling records in the country nor is it that any other music form is beholden to this thing i talked about in the nelson george book too no other we don't say about rock and roll like why aren't they writing songs about voting you know if they got a song about voting good if if bob dylan writes a song about reuben hurricane carter fantastic if he writes another song that's basically abstract expressionism set to music good nobody cares uh we shouldn't care either we shouldn't be beholden to this thing but If we're going to say that hip-hop should have consciousness in it, then we should recognize that it does. There's plenty of conscious rappers before, past, present, and future. There will be, there was, there always have been, and they'll have varying levels of popularity because ultimately people put music on for all different kinds of reasons, and you don't necessarily need to put music on to listen to Afrocentric, you know, shit all the time. That being said, hip-hop raised a generation of folks who learned a lot from hip-hop, including in songs that aren't quote-unquote conscious. You can still learn a lot from, you know, reflective hip-hop. So if you want to make an argument against hip-hop that's like songs like whatever, uh, what's Drake's dumbass name, Champagne Poppy, songs like that, Ross, I feel like Rick Ross got a lot of just, you know, French Montana, Big Pimpin', um, what else, you know, I guess some, uh, certainly some of Nelly's songs, things like that, just these champagne and campaign and songs, okay, fine, but ultimately, we all know there's a time and place for everything, so you're not going to go to the club and listen to I Used to Love Her, it's a great fucking song, I don't know, I could recite it word for word, you're not going to listen to that at the club, I love that song, and I'm a dork, a nerd, whatever. And I'm not listening to that fucking song in a club. If I walked into a club and I used to love her was on, I'd be like, oh, this is great. Turn it down a little bit so it's in the background. Let's get a drink. Just sip it, sit at a table and talk. It wouldn't be a club then, right? It'd be a different place. So whatever. Anyway, the consciousness that they talk about in this chapter gets kind of annoying because then, you know, you get guys like Rhyme Fest in here talking a lot. I'm not saying Rhymefest didn't contribute to the culture at the same time. And so let me go ahead and go into this rant about the book in general. There is a level of star that gets interviewed for this book. And that level of star, like Rhymefest, like MERS, these are real hip-hop guys, really working in hip-hop, and they've made great hip-hop music. I've bought multiple MERS albums and listened to them, you know, a ton, especially in 2008. Six. me and my roommates were listening to MERS 316. I think that's the name of the album. A ton. So 
I, I'm 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 about Murs. Like him. Rhymefest. I can't say that I bought a Rhymefest album, but I've heard him with Ye. Okay. But there's we know there's a ceiling to how big these artists are, right? And that's just kind of the ceiling of the book, you know? It didn't get the biggest artists. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's not like I need to have a book of the biggest artists, except it's talking about the biggest artists. See, that's the thing, you know? So it's an oral history with all of the biggest artists being mentioned constantly and just a few of them in there. You know, we got Ice Cube, we got Ice-T, we got Cool Modi, we got... Trying to think of the next biggest artist after that. I, I don't know. You know, there's no Eminem. Uh, there's no Jay-Z. There's no, obviously, Pac, Biggie, Dead. Uh, Rakim is not in there. There's no Karis One. Um, just going off of people who are named. Common is not in there. Yay. Uh, you know, so it's not a failing of the book. It's just a fact of the book. And I think that, you know, it probably would have been difficult obviously, to get those people we just named to be in the book. I'm sure Jonathan Abrams tried. I'm sure he wasn't like, oh, no, you know, and he's a great writer. Part of the reason I read this book is because I know Jonathan Abrams. I read From Boys to Men, and I used to read him on Grantland. He is a great writer, so I'm sure he did his due, dil his due diligence. But it is just a fact of the matter that you're not getting that level of hip-hop artist in this book. So, you know. Uh, is it a horrible thing? Not at all. But that's just what it is. Uh, so I would have liked to hear the artists talk about themselves. And there's one other thing that I would have liked. And I guess I'll go ahead and... No, I'll save it. I'll save it for when I come to that chapter. Because before I get there, I want to read this description of Kanye. That uh, hip-hop, who Kanye references in... in um, oh, what's that song? It's at the end of College Dropout, the one where he talks for a long time. Oh, oh my goodness, I can't remember the song right now. But it has like an eight-minute monologue at the end where he explains how he got signed. And he's talking about, oh, you know, I was talking to hip-hop. Hip-hop is Kiambo Joshua. Kiambo Hip-Hop Joshua, A&R for Rockefeller. So I just want to read how he describes Kanye. I think it is the most apt Kanye description I've ever heard. So he says, there was no Jesus walks before Jesus uh, Jesus walks. There's gospel rap. We might have a little Dougie Fresh all the way to heaven, but you don't really get too many records that openly did that and was good without it being straight up gospel, vocals, and chants. I feel like all the elements were great, and that was when everything lined up. It'll be like the whole side of him just not being negative or him not selling drugs, and it was quirky at the time. He's talking about Kanye. It wasn't even underground positive like most deaf. He was just being him. The same quirkiness, the intensity, the same comedic sly thing, like as if he was just doing stand-up verses of what he became famous for later. That's funny to think of Kanye as like a stand-up doing rap. That It's very solid. Like I think that's actually pretty accurate because he's not the best rapper, but he is funny. And then he'll have like one line in there, you know? Um don't say my car is topless, say the titties is out, things like that. They just have like, uh, you know, I'm calling a Louis Vuitton Don by my mom's, by my mom person, now she's Louis Vuitton mom, things like that. Just like little, have a little witty bar in there. But like, you know, <laughs> he's not, to me, like for instance, like just a nat virtuoso rap, you know, like, like Nas, right? And then Earl Sweatshirt in that vein of like, to me, Nas and Earl Sweatshirt have the same kind of like, they could, they're making the words beautiful, you know how they say that there's that comedians thing where it's like um, people say funny things, comedians say things funny, 
it's like Earl and Nas rap things beautiful. And Kanye just takes beautiful things and wraps them, you know. It's like, yeah, it's a beautiful little line. Anyway, so uh, doing stand-up versus what he became famous for later. But it was coming from a real place. Then, then, <laughs> then uh, hip-hop says, I, he, and he's impersonating Kanye. I don't really have a lot. I'm kind of dorky, but I want better girls, and they don't like me. So I'm going to talk about the girls that don't like me and why they should like me. <laughs> Uh, just that seems very much like Kanye also seems very much like, you know, a thing that a nerd would do. And, um, and I can relate, but okay. Anyway, so that was that chapter. And then we get chapter 21, which is called take it and flip it. And this gets into more of the craft of hip hop. And so this is what I really liked because here you've got, so for instance, okay, just on this page 470, we get, uh, we get, let me actually back up, 469, we get Razkaz, Cujo, J-Live, Bun B, Cormega, MC Shan, Cormega again, Ice Cube, Razkaz again, Rodney O, Rhymefest, Styles P, Sadat X, Craig G, Murs, Mozzie, K-Rhino, all in a row, just talking about what it's like to craft hip-hop. And to me, that would have been, it's almost like this could have been three books, right? We could have had the history of hip-hop, you know, and then we could have had just a section that was just like the craft, just people talking about the craft. And it wouldn't have mattered if they're famous or not. Who cares? You just want to read a book about the craft. Not famous, but like wouldn't have mattered if they're Jay-Z. I'm just as good to listen to Murs talk about his writing process, which is interesting, as I am to listen to Jay-Z. It was also interesting to hear Murs. I actually didn't make a note of this, but I just remember it. And just how interesting it was. Murs is talking about the fact that he doesn't have a good cadence. He doesn't have a good cadence. And he's aware of the fact that he doesn't have a good cadence, but he's still a great rapper. So it's just interesting to listen to this thing about craft. And I actually thought this was a better – this part of the book was better because the history stuff, I mean, in general – if you're Jonathan Abrams' age, and I think we're the same age, you know all this stuff, right? So I think this book ultimately is aimed at, you know, maybe an audience who's younger than us, right? Which makes sense, you know? I, I guess I'm being a little bit selfish and uh, what's that other, what's that bigger, funner word to say? Solipsistic about my view on hip-hop, which is like, however I view hip-hop is, well, solipsistic doesn't even work. You know, you're really trying to shoehorn a word in there, aren't you? But uh, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I just want this book to be what I want it to be, which is like a bunch of hip hop people talking about hip hop, you know, craft wise, or all of the famous people that I've been following for my entire life telling stories. And sometimes you get that. And uh, the stories are really funny. And Cool Modi was a great character. And my man from Two Live Crew, Brother Marquis, who I didn't follow my whole life, but still great stories. But most of the time, it's just relaying history from a lot of people who you know, like A&Rs and stuff. And like, I don't really care what they have to say. So whatever. Anyway, this chapter, very cool, little short, wish it was longer, could have been a whole book. Uh, at the end here, two different artists in the chapter say that when you really hit that verse, it's like busting a nut. And it's like, yeah, okay, dog, like I get it. But, um, you know, they, they, they really like took it too far, you know, like one of them's, I ain't gonna lie, it's like an orgasm. Okay, just relax. All right, we got it, you know. Um, and then the other guy, K Rhino, he goes through this whole thing. It's semi-euphoric. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. It's a beautiful thing. And then at the very end, it's almost like busting a nut. Well, there you go. Thank you. Um, okay. So 
there is that. And then we get to the final chapter, which is Thank God uh, for Hip Hop. And it's cool. It has a whole thing about what hip hop's become. I'll just read the DMC thing. I kind of already did the rant, so I'll just read the DMC thing real quick. Let's say a group like Migos started making songs like Public Enemy. Can I just interject really quick? What if a group like, I don't know, Run DMC made songs like Public Enemy? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You made fucking shit party records. What the fuck? Like, how are you going to tell the Migos what to make when you were ma- you were the Migos? Anyway, let's say a group like the Migos uh, started making songs like Public Enemy. Imagine if you had a guy that looked like Lil Wayne right now, but he was rhyming like KRS-One. I mean, isn't isn't that kind of what Kendrick Lamar is doing? I Whatever, I don't like Kendrick, but, like, that's kind of what Kendrick Lamar is doing? The fuck? Uh, imagine you have fully clothed women with names like Nicki Minaj and Cardi B, but they're making records like Moni Love and Queen Latifah. Buddy, nobody is listening at any time. I mean, whatever. They were kind of. They were cultural phenomenons. Queen Latifah was. Moni Love, like, I guess she was famous. Some people knew her. She's not that famous. Anyway. You, you see my point. I'm not trying to denigrate her. What I'm saying is, imagine that Nicki Minaj was doing that. Well, then she'd be as famous as Money Love. Something went wrong somewhere where our women used to call themselves queens and princesses and be fully clothed, and that was revolutionary. That changed the game. Now the young women thinking, damn, I've got to dress a certain way. I've got to call myself a bitch and a hoe to be accepted. No, you don't. We, don't cre- we didn't create this hip-hop shit for that. What a fucking loser. What a lying-ass fucking loser. Like, that's, man, listen. <sighs> Nothing could be more disappointing than a revolutionary not understanding that the, uh, a person who participated in revolutionary things, which I'm, that's what I would call hip-hop, right? Be like a punk rock musician being like, I can't believe these kids are taking these drugs. Well, I sure as hell can fucking believe it. You know, you can say, like, well, I wouldn't do that drug, okay? But to just act like you don't understand why it's happening or why they do it or, no, oh, back in my day. No, no, no. Come on now. Let's not be dumb about it. So that was very disappointing to read. But in general, uh, that chapter, most people get to the point where they're like, yeah, you know, whatever, it's good. And Cool Modi, of course, drops some knowledge and puts it in perspective about the concept of you know, it's capitalism and it's art. And even if you go independent, you're still going to want to make business decisions. You know, he talks about it. That's a much more nuanced approach than Run DMC, who's acting like his, you know, uncles probably or his parents or their generation probably acted when he was a kid making that music. So very disappointing. You've become your parents, but probably lamer than them, honestly, because Run DMC sucks. All right, enough. Enough hip-hop. No, not really. Listen to hip-hop on the way over. We'll be listening to hip-hop on the way home. Um, But that is the end of this book by Jonathan Abrams. I did enjoy it. I do wish it was split into three books. I said I would get into my larger takes. You've heard them already. The larger takes were, one, I would have liked, yeah, this to be uh, three books. And two, yeah, you just didn't get the level of star in this book that, you know, you might have coveted. You got your cubes. You got your... uh, T's. You got your ices, both cube and tea. You have um, cool mode D, etc. A few guys here or there. But yeah, it wasn't like that. So would have been nice for those things, but that's not what it was. And I do think it is a good history. If you don't know the history of hip hop, this is solid. I will say this is probably the slowest 
oral history I've ever read in terms of speed. I usually get through an oral history really quick, but this one took me longer. And I, I think part of the reason is because it's 500 pages <laughs> and also because uh, there's just so much, you know, and that's another thing about it. I think Abrams wanted to cover so much of hip hop because he loves it. And there's just so much to cover. I mean, there is a ton of artists that aren't even named that I love, like artists that I personally love that don't even get a mention that are like big artists. Like if you MF Doom, Tyler, the creator and Delta funky homo sapien to name three nerdy rappers, basically don't even get mentioned or like Griselda to name a modern day um, gangster rap group that I really like. Don't even get mentioned. Um, I'm not even trying to, but you know, or like bone thugs, they get like three lines. There's so much, you know? So Overall, a great job. Jonathan Abrams, great writer. You're going to learn a lot about the history of hip-hop reading this book. But yeah, man, there's just too much to cover. Ultimately, just too much to cover. But okay, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, or or excuse me, in two weeks, we'll be back with more hip-hop. But this one is going to be Justin Tinsley's It Was All a Dream. I got it from my library, so reading another library book. But, you know, I'm excited to do it. I've been waiting to read this book for a year or whenever it came out. I think it came out in 2022. So whatever, you know, like six, seven months. Uh, so going to hop into that and read it over the course of, let's say two podcasts tentatively, but maybe three. And yeah, looking forward to it. Um, until then, please rate, review the show, follow it on, uh, let's see, podcast, Apple podcasts, what else you got? Pocket Casts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. Um, follow me on Twitter. The If you want to read something I wrote, it's in the show notes. The music is by The Keep Running. He's on SoundCloud. Link in the, in the show notes. And yeah. That'll do it. So until next time... Stay safe, stay black, and keep reading. This time enough at last. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs>